Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, and welcome to episode 194 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Amy Ginsberg, Executive Director at Friends of White Flint. Ms. Ginsburg is the president of the AG Group and the former director of marketing at the combined federal campaign of the National Capital Area. Ms. Ginsburg is also the former president and chief executive officer of Needius Kids and the former executive director of the Mana Food Center. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? It's great to be here. Excellent. So the first question I'd like to pose to you, what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Well, I think I've been advancing the public interest for 30 years. I was lucky enough after I graduated college to fall into the nonprofit world, and I've loved it ever since. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, through my work with Friends of White Flint, we're working to transform the White Flint Pike District area into a walkable, transit-oriented, vibrant community. Walkable, transit-oriented, and bikeable. <clears throat> Why is that important, and what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is suburban strip malls and gridlock. And we've done that. It didn't work. And the vision for the Pike District is a place where you can walk to the coffee shop with a friend to get coffee in the morning or ride your bike over to see a friend, um, take Metro to work, um, go visit, listen to a concert. Um, that you take public transit or Uber or you walk to. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually going back in time to the 1950s. It's at when there was a Main Street, and we're creating a Main Street once again. A Main Street. So there was a time in the 1950s when that's really the heyday of the American car, right? We're post-World War II. We have a lot of excess industrial capacity. So all the factories that were churning out tanks and airplanes are now going to make cars for the average American middle-class family back from the GI Bill. We're going to leave the cities. We're going to escape the dirt and the clamor of the, of the urban environment, which characterized so much of the Depression and pre-World War II. We're going to go out into suburbia, which is Montgomery County, Maryland, and we're going to have our own home with a white picket fence and our car and our driveway, and we're going to drive to work. And D.C., the metro D.C. area was, was a commuter town, and it was a sleep, sleeper neighborhood where they'd go into the city for work and then back out in the evening, and, and then the city would be more quiet at night. Now you're telling me that there's some sort of trend to move back to the pre-suburban kind of ideal or to, or to urbanize some idea, some uh, suburban areas. What do you attribute that sort of trend towards? Is it a reversal? Is it progress to something new? What are we seeing here? Um, I think it is progress. It's moving forward to get back to a past that I think we all crave where uh, people knew their neighbors, where you could, where your kids could walk to the corner store, where you had this this place that you called home, and it was more than just your quarter acre that surrounded your house. It was where your favorite coffee shop was. It's where the guy, when you go to um, rest, the restaurant, the guy goes, oh, hey, Amy, how are you? So glad to have you back. It's this feeling of being part of a community. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from not just the people who live there, but also how it's designed. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a walkable community, when you have restaurants and retail and offices, and it's a place where you can live, work, and play, you have that sense of this is my community, this is my home. 
So for our listeners who haven't been to the Pike District, can you explain what 10 years ago Rockville Pike was known for? And then I'll ask you to explain your vision of what the Pike District can become. Sure. Um, 10 years ago, and even in many parts still now of the, of the Rockville Pike area, it was strip mall after strip mall after strip mall um, connected by the six-lane clogged highway, not even a highway, um, a main street, mm-hmm. um, Rockville Pike. And it wasn't pretty. It was never a place where you saw people walking or biking. And it's now becoming a place where you see pedestrians crossing the street, where you see bicyclists in the bike lanes. Mm-hmm. And we're in that awkward adolescent phase right now. We're not yet quite the walkable community we're going to become, but we're no longer the car-centric community we used to be. And so it's that awkward adolescent phase. And what is the Friends of White Flint? What kind of organization is it? What are its goals? What are you doing as executive director of Friends of White Flint? Friends of White Flint is a really unique organization because we are composed of non-profit, of um, property owners, businesses, and residents. And too often in this world where people are developing new properties, those three groups are at odds. You find them often at odds. Developers and residents are often at loggerheads yelling, you're destroying the community and you're, oh, you're not, you know, so what's going on? How did you get them at the same table? Well, back in 2010, when the White Flint sector plan was being discussed, um, property owners and businesses and residents met 200 times. Over what period of time? Over a few years, because they wanted to work together to create this new idea. And then at the time, this was a new idea. Mm-hmm. Um, smart growth was really more theory. It wasn't a reality. Mm-hmm. Mixed-use developments were something no one had really seen before mm-hmm. um, 10 years ago. Now, of course, they're everywhere. And so the community um, listened to what the developers had to say. The property owners listened to what the community had to say. And they came together and agreed that, yes, this is the vision we want for our community. We want mixed-use developments. We want to be able to live, work, and play right in our neighborhood. We want it to be vital and vibrant and be able to ride our bike or walk to where we want to go. So you have quite an interesting background, having worked on healthcare agencies within a nonprofit world, having worked for um, the Mana Food, for supporting individuals in, in need of, of nutritional support. You've worked um, on, on fundraising. How, is that, how did you, could you elaborate upon your path from, I know you've got a graduate degree in nonprofit management, but you've worked in so many different subject matter areas, and now you're working in commercial real estate development. How did you get there? Um, I was really lucky. Um, the great thing about working in nonprofits is that there are so many amazing causes out there, and you have a chance to be part of so many different organizations. The principles of fundraising and management are fairly similar from organization to organization. But the important part of running a nonprofit organization is that you need to believe. Mm -hmm. You're not making widgets. You're changing lives. And I've always loved that about my career choice, that, you know, I may not be changing the world, but I'm changing a small part of it. I'm making a difference, as cliched as that sounds. And I think... This Friends of White Flint position that I'm, I have right now, I think, is the culmination of all of that. I get to, I have to fundraise. I have to bring communities together. I have to um, encourage people to collaborate and work on a wide variety of issues, whether it's working on a Pike District pedestrian safety campaign or 
advocating for Wall Park or against cuts to Metro service. And I think 30 years of experience and the fact that this has been my home for most of my life, the White Flint area, I think has really come together to create the perfect job. So since this has been your home and you're in the business of making communities, can you remark on what home meant to you previously before these transformations began under uh, getting underway along the Pike District and what home means to you now? How is that transforming and what do you hope it will be when the projects come to fruition in a few years from now? Well, it's interesting. Um, I want a walkable community. I want to be able to just walk 10 minutes and be where I want to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite the, It's not quite there in the Pike District yet. So I had two choices. I could move away from where I've grown up and where I raised my family and where I live now, or I can create it right in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So I went for, I'm going to create it in my backyard. Yeah. So you're creating it in the backyard, um, creating these walkable trains. So are you having any challenges? Are there any, there's so many different projects. How are you able to help coordinate all of them? And I'm sure that there's opposition or again you do have quite a diverse coalition how are you able to bring them keep them all at the table and foster that trust which you know has not generally been characteristic of relationships between developers in the community um i think the trust is there because everyone at that table residents property owners and businesses they all want the same thing they they want to transform this area from a car-centric home of pretty ugly strip malls to a dynamic, diverse uh, place where there are mixed-use communities, such Mm -hmm. as North Bethesda Market, Pike and Rose, um, and all the future developments that are coming. And because everyone wants the same thing, Mm -hmm. by and large, it's easy to get people to talk openly and to respect one another's views. So some of the issues in this community um, are questions about whether there's adequate infrastructure. So the Montgomery County Council has long ago passed a law which basically says no additional construction, new construction on commercial projects can be, no ground can be broken for those if school capacity in the local school districts exceed 120% of of, of what the buildings were and the classrooms were designed for. You also have historically some of the worst traffic in the nation. I think we're third worst behind Los Angeles and New York. So the streets are congested. You have ideas about new mass transit projects, but it's unclear where the funding is going to come from and when these projects will break down. So you have concerns about individuals who did move to a sleepy suburban neighborhood and are concerned that it's becoming a a canyon of of skyscrapers is is a term that some uh, opponents of new development um, uh, are to say. So I guess, how would you address the idea of infrastructure and whether there's adequate infrastructure to support new development, who, how the, who will pay for the new gas lines and the water and the sewer and, and the streets? How does it all fit together? It's an enormously complex puzzle. Oh, it's complex would be um, actually good. It's more <laughs> than complex. Um, I, so the people who are saying, oh, you know, I like I like the way it used to be. You know what? Life doesn't work that way. It just changes constant. Because um, there's a growing population. You there, can't kick people out of the county. No, and the reality is there's no more land. Mm-hmm. Montgomery County with the Ag Reserve, there's you know a few infill places. For but, our listeners, the Ag Reserve is the agricultural reserve. It's about a third of the county in the northern part has limited development restrictions. Thank you, yes. And so when you look at what 
where you can develop and how many people are want it, we're coming to the county, it doesn't match up. So mm-hmm. the only answer is density. Mm-hmm. And density gets a bad rap, but density is good. Density is why you have restaurants. Density is why you have that great bread shop where you can get your fresh bread every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have density, you don't have enough you don't have enough people to support that kind of retail. Um, office space, it's, to no one's surprise, is a, it's, it's hard to find people who need new office space these days. Um, offices are, sm- are growing smaller, um, people, more people are telecommuting. So you, if you're not gonna have an office building, you need to have a residential building to support those, re- those restaurants that everyone tre- treasures, mm-hmm. that retail, that public space. Um, so I think density around metro stations can help mitigate all of those traffic issues you talked about. Um, you know, in August, how it's just a dream to drive around here. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like everyone's out of town. But the reality is it's only about 10 to 15% lower. Mm-hmm. So you don't need a big drop in the number of people on the road to make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So we don't need everyone ditching their cars. We just need 10% of the people coming here to ditch their cars. So... To many of our listeners, especially people from the Northeast, it might be confusing to think that in Montgomery County, some of the largest urban meccas are not, in fact, towns or villages or any kind of incorporated municipality, right? So in the Northeast, you have dozens and dozens of towns and villages, but in in Montgomery County, the largest areas are Silver Spring, Bethesda, potentially this new Pike District, and they're unincorporated areas. There's no mayor. There's no city council. It all is jurisdiction by the county council. In fact, it's just a zip code, really. How do you define place? Um, Do you foresee there ever becoming uh, an incorporated municipality in the Pike District? Would that be even relevant to the conversation? What is it? How do you talk to me a little bit about the story of placemaking? Um, I don't see us becoming a town. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's Montgomery County's vision for this area. Um, but I think having a sense of place is absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, it's hard to define a sense of place, but you know it when you see it. Um, it's that you walk into, you, you walk, or you drive, or you bike into an area, and you know you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know why you know they're there, but you do. You know you've arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's the Pike District or the Mosaic District or Downtown Crown, there's lots of different areas that are trying to work very hard to define a, a sense of place, to have placemaking. And the Pike District is unique because it's long, mm-hmm. it's big, and there's a six-lane highway going right down the middle. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but I think there are challenges to creating this sense of place, which is why the White Flint Sector Plan is a 30-year plan, because it's not going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen over time. And we will you will know that the Pike District is a thing. And when you say Pike District, an image will pop up in your head. So just and, and returning to this infrastructure thing, because right now, in terms of a place, kind of the and, and branding. The brand of Montgomery County for many individuals who move here are the schools. Sure. People come here because they have children, and we have some of the best uh, schools in the nation, regularly ranked in the top 10 uh, by U.S. News and World Report, National Blue Ribbon Schools, great public school system. And then again, there is the overcapacity issue. Within a few miles of the Pike District, you have schools uh, close, closing in on 900%. Uh, or 300 percent capacity with 900 students in a 300 um, person uh, a size school. 
How do you address the concerns of families who moved here who say that their property values and the demand for this area is all dependent upon maintaining a proper student-to-teacher ratio in the schools, um, and, and then on the other hand, having new development, which will bring in even more kids to already overcrowded schools and even more cars onto already overburdened roads. How do you address the concerns of those community members? Well, the reality is most of the um, increasing enrollments for schools aren't coming from the new development. They're coming from neighborhood turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, some people are coming from these new condos and new apartments that are being built. But by and large, it's turnover in these older neighborhoods, which is why these schools are bursting at the seams. Um, that doesn't mean we don't need new schools. We need a new elementary school. We need a new middle school. We're Should looking at reopening. Should development be halted while this happens, while we build new schools? I don't think it's an either or. I think mm-hmm. that they can be done simultaneously. Remember, when you look at the projections for this plan, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking 25 years from now, you know, some of these max projections. You know, right. Not everyone's moving in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we need new schools. I don't think you'll find anyone in the school board or the public schools or the county council or developers or businesses who don't acknowledge this fact. Um, I think everyone knows it's going to have to, it's going to happen. Um, and as for the roads and the infrastructure, um, we need to get Metro back to being at its perfect health that it used to be. We need to invest in bike lanes and um, bike share. Um, every little bit we can do to, to get people out of their cars will help. And so just continuing to move between the different topics, when we spoke about placemaking and you know you arrive, I know that there's discussion going on about something called a business improvement district. The acronym would be referred to as a BID. Now, I mentioned, I asked you whether you thought a municipality might be in the workforce area. You answered you didn't think so. But there is some sort of traction with this concept of a bid, and there is a, um, an urban district down in Bethesda that has a, a non-profit, non-governmental agency kind of administrating the area. So it's not a municipality, but it's something else. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what that is and why that would be important to this vision of the Pike District? Sure. Um, a bid, or business improvement district, um, kind of serves... Not doesn't turn it into a municipality, but if you're going to have people, if you're not, if you're going to have a 5K or a Walking Wednesday, you need someone to plan this. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a town or a mayor, you need to create a, an entity that will um, be a cheerleader for the district, will advocate for the district, and that's what a bid would do. And what's the advantage of having that over incorporating and having a town and a city council? I think we're far more likely to get a bid than we are to be incorporated. So political pragma- pragmatism. <laughs> I think political pragmatism. I've never really looked at whether this should become a, a town or a city. Um, I'm sure there are advantages and disadvantages to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Montgomery County has a million people. That's a big place. So what most excites you about this new development project here? Um, I love seeing the progress. I love seeing the cranes. I love watching it transform. Mm-hmm. And change is hard, right? Um, change is awkward, change is difficult, change moves forward two steps, then goes back three steps, then comes up a step, and it always takes far longer than anyone ever thinks it's going to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all true in the Pike District, but yet it keeps moving forward. And you can see the changes, new roads being built to make a grid so that people have other options besides driving up and down Rockville Pike and um, and seeing um, the new restaurants and new residents, um, and they're residents for all sorts of different people, empty nesters, um, millennials, um, kids fresh out of college. There's, we want a place for everybody. And so 
what is it? So transitioning away from the Pike District and more back to you, Amy, mm-hmm. I'd like to listen, see if you could share with our listeners um, some of your motivations. I mean, you've mentioned that you are interested in making change um, through nonprofits. And as we approach the end of this podcast, I'd like you to speak to our listeners about your motivations, about why public service, why advancing the public interest uh, is so important to you and what ultimately at the end of your career you hope your legacy will be. Wow, big questions. Um, I think I, I got lucky. I have, I've always had terrific jobs that means something to me and means something to the community. I got to feed hungry people. I got to help people who um, have macular degeneration um, learn how to cope with that disease. I got to raise funds for thousands and thousands of nonprofits um, through the combined federal campaign. Um, so I'm pretty lucky, and you know, I did, I couldn't I couldn't be the type of person who makes widgets. Not that there's anything wrong with making widgets for those of you who like to do it, but for me personally, it needed to be more. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are disadvantages. Nonprofit work tends to not to pay very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, at the end of my life, I get to say, look at all I've accomplished. I made a difference. It mattered, and I like that. I like thinking that what I did in my career. Um, made a difference to use that word again. So that has been Amy Ginsberg, the executive director of Friends of White Flint, the president of the AG group and the former director of marketing of the combined federal campaign of the national capital area. Amy is also the former president and CEO of the neediest kids and the former executive director of Mana Food Center. She speaks about quote, changing lives, not making widgets unquote. She addresses public service as a means of making a difference. She sees, she, she gets a rise out of seeing progress happen over time and creating communities and having a positive impact on lives. And for her, compensation is not only uh, monetary, but in fact, a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction from creating communities and having positive impact on others uh, really resonates with her. And this is uh, uh, evident in her current work to create a, a place and a home, uh, building diverse coalitions in order to create communities that uh, foster strong personal relationships uh, in the, in her own community is something that clearly uh, is a strong motivating factor for Amy um, and has come to define her uh, dedication to public service and advancing the public interest. So, Amy, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was great to be here. It has been episode 194 of Public Interest Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes, leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.